You are now tuned in to Discover Your Potential with TV radio talk show hosts Dan Gilman and Anna DeVere. So listen, participate, and be inspired. Know that you can discover your potential. Here they are, Dan and Anna. Welcome to Discover Your Potential. I'm Dan Gilman, and my co-host, I point in the right direction, is Anna DeVere. I'm so excited for you to be here today. Such an honor. Thank you, Dan. I'm I'm honored to have our guest on. I don't think I've ever had this much excitement for a guest. First of all, she remembered her time zone and helped us accommodate her. She's also a podcaster, so she's a flawless professional. And I, it's not until you meet someone like Jennifer that you understand. Yeah, she deserves her public speaking arena for a reason. So should we bring her on? I'm going to bring her right up. Yes. Hello. Good afternoon to everyone from Lisbon, Portugal. And thank you so much, Anna and Dan, for the gracious, gracious introduction. And a big shout out to Kimberly Meredith, who put us all in touch. I always like to thank the source of where all good things come from. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here today. We're we're blessed and honored to have you. I would love to know, like, how did your journey lead you to be passionate about discovering and realizing your even your own potential? I know we're going to talk about resilience today, but I'd love to hear more about that, too. You know, it's a great question, Dan. It actually came out of survival. <laughs> a lot of people ask me how I came to found my current company or to have all of these beautiful tools that I utilize in my tool belt. And I tell people, I wish I could give you like a fairy tale ending story, though I, it was out of survival. When I was a young girl, I had such deep self-loathing and self-hatred. And of course, that often you know reflects to us and the people around us where we have criticizing parents or friends. I like to think of it as James Van Pra once said in his book, uh, Adventures of the Soul, we come down here to soul school to get an MBA, a PhD in abandonment, in peace, in self-love. And I think self-love was definitely one of my PhDs I came down in this lifetime to get. And I share that because when I was in my, gosh, I was 10, 11 years old, I think I wrote my first book. I mean, if I even told you what this was about, it was so out there for like an 11-year-old to write. I just didn't feel like I belonged. I spent all my spare time when I was in middle school and elementary school, you know, very shy. I would be either in the library reading books or helping out handicapped kids. That's where I just felt the safest. Mm -hmm. And I was really bullied. And I only later in life, about six years or so ago, got diagnosed as being high functioning, you know, Asperger's, autistic, whatever you would like to call it. And that diagnosis really shifted my life. I will always remember my dear friend, Mark Golston, brilliant, brilliant guy. I think I had introduced you guys to him. We're sitting in his office one day and he had been mentoring me through a really challenging divorce I was going through at the time. And he said, Jen, don't take this wrong way, my friend. You're a lovely woman. You're very well put together, though there's a very high likelihood you might be high functioning on the spectrum. And I, I didn't even know what those words mean. I had like Google, look it up. And I went to a specialist to get a second uh, verification on that. And the moment I learned that, I was like, oh, that's why everybody always called me resting robot face. <laughs> that's why people thought, like, mm. I didn't even know. Thank God one of my other teachers and dear friends, Arthur Samuel Joseph, he taught me. He always says, put joy on that put em. <laughs> you know, <laughs> as, you uh -huh. know, as you both know, I've, been, I've had the pleasure. I just had, I think, my 19th or 20th episode come out with Deepak Chopra and Don Hoffman. And I will tell you both, I remember exactly where I was the fourth episode we recorded in, I think it was May of 2020. It's midnight, my time in London. I'm online. I have a camera set up. Now, this is when I was first really learning about being on the spectrum. So I do this interview and I share things with Deepak and with Don and with the audience. And I remember reading in the comments section after the interview and somebody said, is the woman who interviewed Deepak and Don a robot? <laughs> and I didn't realize. So oh. I, just, I didn't know. And this used to cause me so much pain in business as people wouldn't feel safe around me because I was so much in my head. I couldn't be out here with people. So to get back to the answer to your question, Dan, hmm. this has been really a 42-year journey for me of learning to love myself and particularly a deep dive in the last five to six years of learning that the only love that I can ever receive from anybody else is first the love that I give to myself. Mm. 
you raised every question and every topic I wanted to talk about. Because the, the first time I talked to you, Jennifer, your mind for um, connecting is extraordinary. And I wondered if you, and you refer to your Aspie brain, and immediately yeah. I thought, I want to talk about that. I, I hope you're comfortable talking about that. So you just totally. busted it wide open. Are you comfortable with the word neurodivergent? I know you read my mind, which is in, yes. I'm even more mystified by you, but go ahead. Yes, absolutely. It's, um, I, I've had the privilege and honor of sharing and really because so few women in particular get diagnosed as being on the spectrum, particularly there's neurodiverse. So let me backtrack for a moment. I, there's a talk I do about, uh, you know, cracking the code of human connection lessons I've learned from Asperger's. And on the one hand, you have neurodiverse. What the word neurodiverse means is that our brains work different than whatever you would consider typical. I mean, that's the textbook definition. So someone who's neurodiverse might be on the spectrum as an autism. They might be ADHD or ADD they might perhaps be dyslexic. And there's nothing good or bad or right or wrong. However, if you're friends with someone who's neurodiverse or you're working with them or you're in a romantic partnership, it can often cause one or both parties, you know, pain, quite frankly. I remember my ex-husband was very much neurotypical long before I knew I was neurodiverse. And he, the funny thing was, I, I was just going through the divorce with him when I got the diagnosis. And he's like, you're not neurodiverse. He's like, you're just obstinate and stubborn and difficult. <laughs> so often, right? Like people don't understand. It's We label people. And for me, it really, really helped me. I've helped a lot of other people realize that they are on the spectrum or that they are neurodiverse. And it's been life-changing. One woman who is a CEO of a company I was doing this talk for about neurodiversity a few months ago, she's like, Jen, changed my life all of a sudden i am unequivocally unabashedly neurodiverse i'm like girl you gotta get out there you gotta <laughs> you just got it though i do want to take it back to your funny thing you're saying about my brain i love in sherlock holmes the one with uh benedict cumberbatch where he he's very neurodiverse i heart that like that whole show yeah. is so up my alley <laughs> and in it he talks about sherlock talks about his mind palace now, I've always felt like I have this incredible mind palace, but it's hard for anybody else to ever understand or get that. So two things have happened in the last couple of years that have really, you know, they make you feel seen and heard and acknowledged. So one of them is a brilliant healer. Shout out to Timothy Wallace. I heart Timothy. He was a retired physician's assistant who all of a sudden realized, I mean, over many years, that he had this capacity to like see into people's bodies. So he comes referred to me by another great woman I, I love, who you guys are going to have on the show, Diane Hayworth. Yeah. So she refers Timothy, and Timothy does a full body scan. He's like, Jennifer, may I go into your brain? Now, this is like over Zoom. I'm like, yeah, sure, Timothy, go ahead and go in my brain. And this is Timothy's response. I'll always remember this. He's like, whoa whoa, Jennifer, can I share with you what I'm seeing in here? And I was like, yeah, Timothy, tell me. He's like, it is amazing. There are rows and rows and rows of filing cabinets in your brain. And every single detail is filed. He said, I've never seen anything like it. I kid you not, Dan and Anne, I had never felt so known in my entire life. Like, oh, Timothy, thank you. Because I, I just... We never know what it's like to be in, in somebody else's world and what a gift that Timothy can just like take a peek into <laughs> the workings of your mind and body. That's an amazing skill. You know, it's funny you say that because we do, we really don't know what it's like to be in someone else's brain. I saw the movie um, Beautiful Mind by Russell Crowe. And there's a, that. that scene where he's cracking a code and he's looking and it shows for a second on the screen what his brain looks like. And it's almost like a computer with circuitry and certain things are lit and certain things are in shadow. I swear I have that brain, but I have no name for that. But when I <laughs> met you, Jennifer, I recognized it immediately. I was like, she's literally a connector and she's working her magic. And you talk about getting downloads. And I know <clears throat> for anybody that doesn't receive downloads, that's a very odd statement. Even somebody scanning your brain like a filing cabinet is a very odd statement. This way we love what we do. Dan's yeah. mom did this for a living for 30 years. She had a call-in show. And for and that's why we break it down to like really basic questions. But your brain was, is fascinating to me. Um, and also, let's just dive into like what you do for a living. Because this is the genius. <laughs> you might be called, labeled a robot. And maybe... 
but you're absolutely the person I would want to call in for a high level um, hostage situation. Let's just take it to where you live in the corporate world where people are literally just beyond redemption or experiencing real trauma. And I guess this is important to me because I feel like it, it pertains to everybody in the world right now. We literally lose our, you know what, over a comment on social media. But conflict resolution is your secret spice. So let's talk a little bit about what, what you bring to it, how it works, uh, or share anything you like on that topic. Because I'm fascinated by what you do and how you came to that. Thank you, Anna. It's a beautiful question. And I fell into it by being what I like to call a recovering jerk. <laughs> you know, so you can't teach it until you first go through it firsthand. In my life, when I was very young, I remember I was about, gosh, 22, 23 years old. And I had been bulimic from the age of 15 to actually 25. So at this point, I was still bulimic and still deeply, deeply self-deprecating and self-loathing. And so I created this protective wall and shell around myself. And I remember I was in a personal development program and uh, <laughs> it was kind of funny how I got there. The boyfriend I was dating at the time, his friend had gifted him and his brother access to this program. So they go out and do it. And as you've often seen people who do these programs and they have these wild breakthroughs, right? And then they come to you and they're like, you got to do this thing. Well, I was present back then. Excuse me. I will not do anything you tell me to do. You can't make me. <laughs> so this goes on for about six months. Not the healthiest beginning to a relationship, by the way. And finally, after about six months where he's getting transformation after transformation, I petulantly call up this program, sign up for it. And I tell him I've signed up. And he says, that's the best news in the whole wide world. I'm so excited. I said, no. I signed up to prove it's a cult. Like you can't make this up. People cannot reconcile who I am today and who I was 20 years ago. Mm. So fast forward, I show up to day one of this class and there's 150 people in a room, you know, outside of LAX and everybody's there to gain their lives transformed. I wanted to be sure people knew exactly who I was. So the class starts and this man is co-facilitating with this woman who's in training. And he says to the room, hello, we are so excited to have you here. Does anybody have any questions before we get started? My hand shoots up and he says, um, yes, the young lady over there in the Von Bitch shirt. I literally uh -huh. wear a shirt that said Von Bitch. <laughs> Again, it's pretty funny. And I was like, Yes. How would you respond to the fact that this, meaning the class, is a cult? The man looks at me, he looks at the audience, gives a little chuckle, and he says, if it is a cult, it's the best damn cult you'll ever join. Next question. <laughs> I sat there all weekend steeping in self-loathing, self-righteous soup. Everybody around me is getting breakthroughs. Now, keeping in mind, I'm miserable in my relationship. I'm successful at my job, but not happy. I'm bulimic, among a multitude of other things, depressed often. So I get through this whole class and everybody's having breakthroughs and I am just stubborn as a mule. Like, screw you all, I'm going home. So the class <laughs> wraps up and at the end of it, my then boyfriend and his brother and his friend and everybody's there to cheer me on and see this magical transformation I've had. So <laughs> the class culminates, the woman who's co-leading comes up and she looks at me and she says, are you going to do the advanced class? I said, sweetheart, darling, it was stifling enough having sat in this room for the last three days. Do you really think I would put myself through this hell again? She looks at me, looks at my boyfriend. And he goes, don't get me started. It took me <laughs> eight months just to get her to do this one. And I was like, this is an at will relationship to my boyfriend. You can leave any time you want. Now, for any of you out there, Anna, Dan, I don't know if you remember this movie. Do you remember the movie Sliding Doors with Glen Gwyneth Paltrow? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That's it's a one. It's a good late 1990s movie. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it. There's a point in the movie where Gwyneth Paltrow has two different lives she chooses. Mm. One life, she makes a train, and another life, she doesn't make the train. It's a great movie. I'm going to have to go back and watch. That was my moment in that movie was right there, the two options of how I could have gone on living my life. The woman looks at me and she says, can I be really straight with you? I said, sure, darling, go ahead. You be really straight with me. She said, you 
are a nasty thing. You are one of the most powerful women I have ever met in the history of my life. And you know what? You're like Godzilla walking through a city with a huge tail swinging behind you, knocking down buildings wherever you go. Except guess what? Those aren't buildings. Those are people whose lives you're destroying. She looks at my boyfriend and says, leave her. It's what she needs. And walks away. Yeah. Oh. So the next day, the next day I went into my office. Now, like I said, I was already relatively successful, 25 people there. And it's our Monday team meeting. So I say to the team, like, before I go around, I'm kind of sheepish. I'm like, guys, have I ever been maybe condescending or demeaning to any of you? Like, maybe, because I'm trying to check now and see if, like, she was just blowing smoke up my tuchus or if it was actual literal. <laughs> and mm. so the office goes so quiet, you could hear a pin drop. Oh. And then one woman who had no problem saying things as it was bursts out laughing and says, you are only the most condescending, demeaning bitch we've ever met in our lives. And we have no idea how you're successful. So you ask how, I, I, I take this back to your question, Anna, you yeah. ask how I became successful out of, uh, at conflict management. It's because I have been the one creating the conflict in my life. And to those of you listening who may have known me during that time, I apologize to my ex-husband, my old colleagues. I apologize. Please forgive me. Thank you for being in my life so that I may love you. You know, we're all here to help each other learn and grow. And it was from that that catalyzed my deep compassion as well for the people who are often misunderstood, whether it's people who are considered jerks or neurodiverse and don't quite fit the typical norm. I can really resonate and understand everybody's perspective, whether you're neurodiverse, neurotypical, and my gift is being able to see the good in everyone. In fact, my sister gave me a beautiful bracelet with one little charm on it, probably 15, 20 years ago. And this is my purpose in life. On this charm, it said, let this be your greatest task. Let this be your greatest joy to give people back to themselves, even in their darkest hour, especially in that hour. And that's what we're doing now with OptiMatch, and we're reversing the accidental adversarial relationship between human beings. Wow. <laughs> no, it's so great because I can see now why you're a great public speaker because here's what I really appreciate about that. that you're very willing to share openly. I think a lot of people listening might be in their darkest hour. We understand that. We are at any given moment in our darkest hour. And it doesn't just reach a plateau and then shift and then there's nothing to learn or grow from. And I just appreciate you being real because that's exactly where so many people are. And I do have to say this, and it's very often when we have the most resistance to something yes. that we actually need it. I remember somebody handing me the Rhonda Byrne book, The Magic, and I went, the magic? I am the freaking magic. Like, why do I need to read a book? No idea that I would daily practice gratitude from that moment on and buy that book for, you know, 50 times over. I bought that book and gave it away for how it transformed my life. So personal development is a yummy subject. I, um, <laughs> I really, really, I know that this is something you talk about and I want to go into it right now, which is the power of words. You've just so eloquently given back to anyone. You, you, you move in the world as I see you with so much grace, and yet you're willing to share your mess to success story so graciously, which is really empowering for people. I'm sorry, but we're all struggling with something. And we are, as you said, we're talking about resilience today. Mm. So, um, you know, can you unpack that a little bit? I know it's on your heart, but is anything coming up in particular, whether it's conflict resolution or what, how do we find resilience in these kind of days where it feels like we're running on empty? Speaking from personal and Dan, I know you can agree. Absolutely. Talk a, talk a little bit, I guess, about what's coming up for you around that subject, since we want to talk about that primarily. What I would love to start with in order to put us in what's called a coherent state, and then I'll continue on about the power of words in our lives is heart maths, heart focused breathing, which is one of my favorite techniques I use every moment. I'm doing it live or real time while I'm doing any interview, coaching session, speaking engagement. So I'd love to take us through one or two minutes of heart focused breathing, which immediately puts us back into a coherent state 
And the analogy is like our cell phone. We all have these wonderful smartphones, yet if our smartphone is not charged, it does us no good. And so too, do we need to recharge our personal batteries because we have no capacity for resilience if we have no capacity for ourselves. So I'm gonna take us through just one or two minutes of this, if that's okay with you, Anna and Dan. Absolutely, Absolutely. thank you. Okay, wonderful. So again, this is heart-focused breathing from HeartMath. It's taught to first responders, Navy SEALs, anybody you can imagine, corporations I work with on this. So I'd invite us all to begin to focus our attention in the area of our heart or chest. And imagine that our breath is flowing in and out right through the center of our heart or chest as though the heart itself is doing the breathing. Breathing a little slower and a little deeper than usual. Finding an easy rhythm that's comfortable for you. As we continue these slow, deep in and out breaths as though our heart itself is doing the breathing, I invite us to connect to a regenerative emotion. See whatever your heart's intuition shares with you in this moment. And it might be gratitude, or for me it's calm. Calm is my go-to. I'm constantly on calls and moving around. So often I imagine breathing calm in and out, right to the center of my heart or chest. Or for many of us right now, we might be so enraged or upset or depleted that we can't even reach for calm. And in that case, I invite you to breathe in neutral. Just imagine breathing in neutral, allowing it to neutralize all of the things that are going on right now in your space. So whatever that is, let's do that three times together, breathing in slowly and deeply. On the inhalation, connecting to whatever that regenerative emotion is for you. And on the exhalation, releasing it out. And two more times, breathing in. Breathing out. Finally, one more time, allowing a slow, deep breath right into the center of our hearts and really connecting to that energy of whatever you're choosing. On this final exhalation, let's imagine radiating, pulsing the planet, anybody you can think of who needs it, with some calm or ease or neutrality. And if your eyes were shut, you can wiggle your fingers or toes and would love to know how that was for both of you. And then I'll dive into the word aspect. Thank you. <laughs> it was powerful. There were tears in my eyes and I, I want to know how to find you. And do you coach this? Or do you allow this or offer this in a, in a meditation form? Because I really believe in the power of, number one, choosing your word. I did a meditation like this yesterday with grace and didn't realize I would just really like to channel grace. And it wasn't a word I hadn't used in a while. So it had meaning to me as a kind of a newness to it. But really pulling in grace through my heart and then offering grace to people around, I guess, we'll talk about the power of words, but we'll put plenty of links on how to find you, Jennifer, because I can only imagine what this does to a corporation where they're like, what are we doing? Coherence? What? <laughs> Yeah, it's life-changing when we're coherent. It, and the funniest thing is, I remember, I mean, I do so much work with people. So yes, I do coach people one-on-one. -on -one. Two people can find, there's a couple of meditations I've created, one heart-focused one on YouTube, at Jennifer K. Hill is the YouTube channel. Thank so you. people can find that there. And there's a beautiful inner child one as well. I love inner child work is one of my go-tos. If you want to work with your own recovering jerk, the quickest way to do that is to be sure to tap into your inner child. That's a whole other conversation. So yes, I do love teaching this work and sharing it and I embody it. I, there's not a day goes by that I don't do heart-focused breathing. I don't want to use the word do, actually cancel, cancel. This ties into words. Every moment 
of every day, I'm seeing words as I say them, and I'm looking for, is this what I'm committed to saying? And as I just said those words to you, as I said, I do, that's not at all what I'm committed to. Doing is just doing, having. What I'm committed to is being and enjoying. So I'm going to shift that. I'm going to say cancel, cancel, as my dear friend, business partner, Julian Adler, taught me a decade ago. If you say something you're not committed to, you can say cancel, cancel, and just erase and rewind whatever you just said. So I'm going to reframe that. And I'm going to say that I have the opportunity to enjoy every day cultivating my meditation practice, my inner child work, doing heart-focused breathing, and a myriad of other things. And that's what allows me to have grace, to be able to be spacious. Somebody was graciously talking to me yesterday and said, you know, Jennifer, how do you, like, you hold space? And she said, is it because it seems like you hold space for yourself? And I think that directly ties into resilience, Anna and Dan, because if I can't hold space for myself, brilliant woman I learned from Alison Armstrong taught me this years ago, we collapse our space. And when we collapse our space, we have no capacity to be for ourselves, let alone anyone else. Then we become reactive rather than responsive. And so this is what I'm doing all day, every day is I'm it, it sounds like some of you, I can hear what you're thinking. I liked into it. Some of you are going, Jennifer, that's exhausting. How are you doing that? And it's not exhausting. It's actually, the analogy is like having a boat. Imagine something happens, you get an email that activates you. You have a hole in that boat, a little water starts to come in, but then your kids need something, another hole comes in, then your boss needs something else, and you have all these holes. Well, if you set your day up powerfully, you are reinforcing that boat. So even though somebody's going to try and drill a hole into that boat, you've like metal enforced it. And then you use your heart focused breathing and your tools. So that way, that to me is what I would use to describe resilience. And it really goes back to the tools. I always love to share with people that Batman, although he is not superhuman, is a superhero. And what makes him super is his superhero tool belt, which we all have. It doesn't we don't have to be superhuman. We don't have to be invisible or able to fly. But you know what? We can become resilient by learning these tools. Mm. That's great. I just want to announce one thing. So if, if people listen to the meditation, not to listen to it in the car. Well, <laughs> actually, here's the funny thing, too. Oh, you can. You? you can. This is the beautiful thing with heart-focused breathing. Heart-focused breathing is designed to do eyes open. You can do it eyes closed if you're That's feeling, right. and this is good. I, I do appreciate that we want to protect people. So, yes, don't do it with your eyes shut while you're driving. Don't no, close your eyes while you're driving. That's what yeah, I should don't say. Don't close your eyes. You can very much. This was designed for police officers when they were in confrontation with people or for those of us, conflict resolution 101. If one person mm. is in fact, I think it was Eckhart Tolle, if I remember, the, the book, The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle said something so beautiful about this. Hmm. He said, nobody else can react to you if there's nothing for them to react to. Hmm. So it's only like by us doing this work, that dissolves all conflict. If I'm not activated or reactive to you, if I'm simply holding space, being in my coherent state, and scientifically, Dr. Roland McCready has proven this with his work at HeartMath. They've taken three individuals who are coherent doing this heart-focused breathing. And mm. a, third, a fourth person who's incoherent, scientifically proved, the fourth person gets into coherence. Mm, I love it when science fills in the blanks. Because I believe, I can, I can, I want to tell you a quick story about when I was really, I was really diving down and feeling like I needed something. So I, I invested in a book called Financial Alchemy and it had all this wonderful tools, as you say. They're everywhere. Mm -hmm. Find the ones that resonate with you and you will you will start to see progress because it's just the way the universe works. When you're ready, the teacher comes, right? So this was really appealing to me. And then for whatever reason, I'm you know, I'm starting to manifest and I'm feeling like I'm doing all the right things. And I've heard Eckhart talk about there's conscious manifestation where you're just being in the state and then things are attracting to you versus doing all the right things. So we're going to maybe break this down a little, but I remember I was really seeing on a daily basis how my words were 
becoming magnets for things. I was really putting it to the test. And fortunately, the needle was going in the positive direction until I discovered one morning by accident that a very large rat had taken up residence in my home. The coffee maker broke. I went into the coat closet where I stored the separate coffee maker and plastic chips and things fell out at my feet. Do you know when I really discovered there was an otter sized rat who had just been loving that environment for months, just growing bigger than my cats. (laughs) The only thing that came out of my mouth was the expletive FML, which I don't need to tell you what that means. We all know what that curse word means which is basically screw my life. You know what that did? That was the biggest curse. In that moment of trial, I was shown that, oh, it can get much worse. (laughs) And I I took it back. I remember it was four o'clock in the evening and lo and behold, it got way worse after saying that out loud. Mm. Obviously, this is something, you know, this is, a. I looked up online, what do rats represent? And well, they represent taking away negativity and filtering through you know, detritus. And I was like, I was being gifted, but never have I seen firsthand the power of cursing your own life. I know, I don't even write FML. I'm like, oh, that is the curse of all curses. Do not ask the universe for more of that. Yeah, I had a beautiful thing that happened around that Anna recently. So about, gosh, I think it was July of 2017. Thank you, Asperger's brain. My brain can tell you just about any date of any time. It's almost uncanny. Like I can tell you everybody who I know's birthday today without even looking at Facebook. So thank you, Asperger's brain, quick aside. Um, but in end of July, 2017, I was doing an interview on my first podcast, Get Yourself the Job with a guy by the name of Gary Douglas, co-founder of Access Consciousness. And he taught me one of my favorite word techniques, games, consciousness consciousness techniques that I've been playing now for seven, eight years, however long. And the technique is called, how does life get any better than this? And you say it out loud every day. And the idea is that no matter what's happening, especially when something good happens, you say, how does life get any better than this and the way our brain is wired with 50 to 120 bits only of conscious information per second we're paying attention to versus billions of bits at the subconscious level we're literally redirecting our brain so to your point of that moment with the rat a friend of mine brilliant friend entrepreneur she heard me mentioning this in one of my interviews lately and about maybe a month or two ago she said jen i was so inspired by your how does it get better than this game I'm going to start playing that daily. I said, amazing. I love that. I said, better yet, why don't we text each other once a day? How does life get any better than this? So that way, if one of us forgets, we're inspiring the other to do it, which fun game, highly recommend find an accountability buddy to do it. So this has been going on now for a couple of months. And about three weeks ago, when everything started to get a little intense, she texts me and she says, Jen, can I say, how does it get any better than this? I didn't text her, I called her and I said, Amy, especially in moments like this, you don't say, hey, how does it get better than this? You say, how does life get any better than this really as an inquiry? Mm-hmm. So that's a question I invite each of us to ask is how does life get any better than this? Even when there's a rat in our cupboard, even when we lose a loved one, even when there's war and atrocity in the world and people dying on all sides, how does life get any better than this? And that's an inquiry to live from. Mm. That's exactly where I hoped we would land during this hour. Um, Because I want to talk about this specifically. Um, how, How do we find, and I think you've answered with some wonderful tools, and I am going to play that question game. I know that that works. Um, how do we find peace in times that seem hopeless or spectacularly, you know, going wrong for so many people? I don't even want to label because everyone has their own version of what's happening to them, how they're experiencing. Yeah. But, um, are there other tools? Are there other ways to foster for me? It's peace. I know it, it takes a very, concerted effort in the middle of the night sometimes to do that heart-based breathing to bring in a word like peace and to not let my mind go towards 
what am I, why am I even important? Why is my peace important in a, in a time that is so out of my control? I wish I had a magic pill for you, Anna, and there is no magic pill. For every single one of us, it's slightly different. We're all going through our own form of pain. I remember many years ago, there was a movie called Crash. I think Justin Timberlake was in it and a lot of brilliant actors and actresses. And it's one of my favorite movies because in that movie, you have these characters and some of whom you judge very harshly. You think this guy, this police officer is a jerk. He's molesting a woman or this person is stealing or killing and they're bad. And then what I love that the director did in that movie is they pulled back the curtain so that you could see what that person's life was like. Mm. And one of the greatest tools I think that any of us can ever use is compassion. And it's the hardest, hardest tool. And that's where having committed listeners for what we're committed to in life, it can be your spouse, your friends, your colleagues. So many of us live in worlds where we collapse our ability to be our true selves and we're too busy trying to people please or be one with the bigger agreement of what is happening in the world and I will share actually one of my favorite tools for this that is a Kabbalistic tool I don't even think I've mentioned it here but a sweetening judgment Kabbalah is something I've been studying for about a gosh a decade now and I've learned so much wisdom for it and actually, it's so funny. I, I'm going to share this tool, the tool that just came to mind. There's something, I'm going to pivot for a moment because I was just having a challenging day yesterday and I'm going to share with you what my Kabbalistic teacher, David, shared. <laughs> so I laugh because David and I have a funny relationship. David uh, Guillaume is a very famous Kabbalah teacher. And before he moved to LA, uh, he was in New York. He was very prominent. So one of my friends, Noah, gives me a cell phone and says, you need to have David as a teacher. He's moving to LA. So I called David. This was you know, seven, eight years ago, I said, David, I'm Jennifer. Noah referred you to me and I'm looking for a Kabbalah teacher or mentor. I said, yeah, Jennifer, I don't have time for new students. I said, great, David, I don't have time for a teacher. I said, here's, <laughs> here's going to be our agreement. I'll call you three to five times a year with a five minute question, maybe less three minutes if I have one. Do you have time for that? He's like, I can commit to that, Jennifer. So David's amazing. I mean, he's brilliant. So I know when I call or text David, there is a one in a thousand chance that I'm actually going to reach him or hear from him. So yesterday, I actually had a challenging personal opportunity, nothing like what's going on in the world, but just for me personally challenging. So our company is really excited to OptiMatch, where we've spent a lot of money to go to this conference here in Lisbon, and we had applied to pitch, and that was a big reason why we spent the money on this. So I am so excited. Right before an interview, I get an email that says, Jennifer, your company OptiMatch has been approved for the startup showcase. And I'm like, yes, you know, it's so easy how we can go to the highest mountain points and then the lowest moment after that. So I'm excited. I dive into this call with a brilliant neuroscientist. We're recording an interview and I tell Paul, I'm like, Paul, I think we just got, you know, invited to pitch and I'm so excited. I get off the call and I see the second email that just followed up from that one. And the second email said, you were unsuccessful in being accepted for the pitch competition. So this thing was something otherwise. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I redid that pitch 500 times. I spent a whole day recording it. I failed, right? We all have those moments where we feel like a failure. And I just went internal and I was like, God, what do I do? So I called David and David doesn't answer. No surprise. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky if I talk to him three or four times a year. And about two hours later, I'm on a call with a friend uh, and I get a call coming in. It's David. I'm like, pause, girl, love you. He got a pause. So David... <laughs> David answers, and uh, or I answer David, and I said, David, I need your help. I'm having a hard time right now. I'm feeling like a failure. I'm feeling like I just can't do this. I know Kabbalistically they say doing the thing that's hardest for you is what you're supposed to do, and yet I hear other things about being in a flow state. So what is it? Am I supposed to be in a flow state or do the hardest thing? I My my literal Asperger's brain sometimes gets to these cannot compute moments where I'm like, yeah. That's it does not compute. Uh, shut down, shut down. <laughs> Understandably. <laughs> and so David says to me, I love this. This was like a two minute, 45 second conversation that was life changing. David says to me, Jen, there are times in our life where all that's going to matter is whoever is going to win is going to have the strongest 
consciousness. He or she who has the strongest consciousness and the most certainty will win. Now you might, you might have failures along the way, but when you create a storm of energy towards the thing that you want most in life, whether it's peace, your new company, your soulmate, your dream job, your dream house, whatever it is, when you create a storm of energy, that energy must go somewhere. And he said, I'll tell you another little secret. Right before, in that moment, right before we're about to hit our soul's next level, we feel like we're on empty. We feel like we can't go another step further. And it's at that point where if we can persevere and be certain and push through the uncomfortability in our tank being below empty, that we reach the next level of our soul. And I was mm. not expecting, this is not even what I just pulled up to share with you guys, but what I just felt. And it's from this level that I think where we're at, at humanity. I think this is why we're being given this opportunity. Every one of our, our tanks around the world is on empty. So many of us feel like I can't, I can't muster up the strength to get through another day. Yeah. And what if the next level of our soul is just one more step ahead? Mm. Can I, I just want to take a step back. Yeah. I love that you have studied the Kabbalah. It's that's extraordinary because <laughs> I've also I've I've you know I've, I've studied probably not in the same level. But uh, what what made you interested in the Kabbalah? I'm just curious about that. What drove you to the Kabbalah potentially? Uh-oh. This is another fighty McBitey moment. I can feel I it. <laughs> she was fighty no. McBitey, and she found the Kabbalah. No, no it's actually the opposite. It's very funny. Here's here's the story. When something is meant to be in your life, like really, truly meant to, Kabbalah, I've studied so many disciplines, and I would say the one thing that I use day in, day out, that I never, ever miss is Kabbalah techniques. And so for me, it was 10, 11 years ago, I think, and uh, two of my friends, both were clients of mine. I ran a legal recruiting firm. That was the first company I built and sold. And two of my clients who did not know each other, both women, both who lived in LA, sent me an email on the same day about a new Kabbalah class that was opening up in Santa Monica, not far from where I live, not even in a center, but at a house. And I was like, what? How do two perfect strangers who don't know each other send me the same email on the same day? And luckily at that point, I was getting further along my spiritual journey and really trusting it. And it was life-changing. I mean, I cannot recommend it enough. Dan, if you want to go deeper into it, uh, Weekly Energy Boost is a podcast I listen to every week. I sometimes, last week's, I listened to twice. It was so powerful on Soulmates. And my friend David, Kim, the one I mentioned, uh, is uh, one of the co-hosts of that show. And they give you an energy weekly forecast based on the ancient wisdom of the Zohar. Hey, based on thousands and thousands of years of wisdom, it's going to rain this week, or we're going to have chaos and turmoil in the world. And you might want to bring your raincoat or a little bit more compassion with you as you go into your meetings this week. So I I personally love it. And that's how I became very, very passionate. And I'm a huge devotee of uh, them and so many of the other work. I mean, they're I love all of this work and it doesn't matter. Find your work, find your tools. One of my tools is Kabbalah. It may be yours. It may not be though. Find the tools that resonate with your soul. And I will say when people ask me, well, Jen, what is Kabbalah? I tell them, you know, it's like a video game or board game, right? In order to play, let's say a video game, you need to know the rules of the game. If I'm playing super Mario, forgive me for dating myself, but that's the game I grew up with. If I'm playing Super Mario, I need to know how to hit A, A, B, B, jump and grab the coins, kill the bad turtley guy, whatever his name is. But I can't win the game unless I know A, A, B, B gets me the coins or allows me to jump over the bad guy. That's Kabbalah. Is It's the game book for how to win at life that's been hidden for centuries because otherwise, it, like all things, great power can be used for evil or good. So I think it's only we've only elevated our consciousness enough in the last say 50 years to be able to have the wisdom be accessible to most of us and some of us honestly can't even receive it because we're just not in that state of receptivity and that goes for any teaching that's incredible thank you i just was curious no that you highlighted that i had a very similar experience where the tree of life the just the um geometric pattern was coming up for me a lot and then i i had another coincidence that led me to a movie that ended up being by uh, one of my ancestors mm. on the Devere side. 
and that symbol was in the movie and it just it was like oh maybe i should go deeper into the kabbalah because that's was resonating with me too so you're right about that tools are calling you at this moment tools that can awaken you it doesn't have to be that particular system um i like to say the universe is playing a game with you and you're in the game is rigged in your favor i know that's yeah. a roomy quote somewhere i've watered it down but i like to say that's my mad skill in the resilience department is that i always believe that so even when it's fml and the rats in the closet or i've lost someone or a job i go back to how is this rigged in my favor what am i getting from what i know it's rigged in my favor but that's the belief i fall back on so there's there's lots to explore and and i think it comes down to a choice to change your perspective which we always have available to us um and you've given such beautiful examples from your life are there any other like perspective changes that surprised you or upended you or sent you in a new quest yeah i think the final story i'll share today and it's funny because i heard at the beginning as i do any sort of interview or as i coach somebody i like to do what i call soul talking and i like to just really mm -hmm. drop in and hear what the universe, what your souls want, what the audience souls want. And so what I heard was a story that I like to share sometimes around perspective. And I heard this early on many years ago, as I was learning how to recover from being a jerk, I still had jerky moments. <laughs> you know, you're a human being. There was the time where I sent the all caps email to my team. Are you all a bunch of effing morons? Why is nobody working harder, faster, more effectively? You know, one of the pros and cons of having this mind palace for a brain, I didn't understand until about a decade ago that not everybody's brain worked like mine. Like I couldn't understand that everybody else didn't process things or couldn't do things at 500 times the speed. And I was like, oh, you mean everybody's not designed this way. So this moment came, my dear, dear friend, co-founder, it's actually his birthday today. Happy birthday, Jules. Uh, he came into my life around a decade ago while I was building my last company. And I had somebody I was working with and let me tell you, my perspective of her was not favorable at the time. I had a story that she wasn't doing this right. She wasn't doing that right. She was making this mistake. She wasn't calling clients back. Well, two things that were very important happened that Julian helped me with perspective. One, he introduced me to human design. Life-changing, life-changing. There are five main types of human design, reflector, manifester, generator, manifesting generator, and projector, which is what I am. And the manifesting generators and generators of the world, like Deepak and Oprah, they can write 90 books and do 100 things. However, the rest of us, many manifestors, projectors, and reflectors, we're not designed energetically to do the same sort of thing. So fast forward, number one, Jules introduces me to the fact of human design and that she actually is a projector like me and is not designed to, you know, to do a lot of work, but more to manage people. So that's one big distinction. But the huge thing that he did when I was really not sure how to work with her, what to do if she was going to continue on the team, he said, Jen, what if the reason she is a disappointment is because you are looking for her to be a disappointment? Mm. Uh, I have a list over here. She didn't call this person back. She didn't do this. Like, I, ha I have a list. Want to see my list? I can show you the list, the evidence I have here. And he said, that's great. And how's that working out for you? I was like, it's a pain in my butt. And I, he said, great. So I'm going to challenge you to something. I said, fine. What? He said, what if for the next week, once a day or more, if you feel like it, you write down one good thing she is doing a day? One good thing. Now, he's trained in neurolinguistic programming. He's the one who taught me about the 50 to 120 bits of conscious information versus the billions of bits of unconscious information. So imagine if we're going through life and you see somebody makes a mistake and the filter you see them through is you're making a mistake, you're gonna look for more of those 50 to 120 you know, conscious bits that substantiate that. So begrudgingly, very begrudgingly, <laughs> the first day I was like, fine, fine, I'll do it. I was getting ready to you know, terminate and it was so powerful because day one, I could barely write down one good thing she did. Day two, it became a little easier. Day three, the good things she was doing started to jump out at me. By day seven, it was her most productive week, I think, since she had worked at the company. Less than five years later, we sold that company and she wound up being the executive vice president who took it all over. And that would not have been possible if it hadn't been for Jules helping me to change my perspective. Wow. 
I love that story. I think the I think you've nailed it because the most powerful perspective shifts are the ones that we have about other people. And they are often the most challenging. And and I I, I thank you for that example. It's really it's powerful in the world today. I think it it leads to world peace. Mm. And I think that that is the thing that we can do in our own backyard to find the greatest challenge and 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 look at it as a gift. Um, I have many examples of that, Dan. I know that you do as well. But I um, I would I would add to that that a girl came to me in my junior year of high school where I was struggling to maintain the theater girl image. Like I'm the it girl, and I'm no one's coming in on my turf. And this young woman comes in looking like, oh my gosh, like a movie star. And she's from another school and she's a theater person. And I just thought, man, I could either hate this person or I could just join her. And she's too fabulous not to join. It was the first time I ever did that in my female world to just choose to make a friend instead of an enemy. But it, it was lighting me up, triggering me. I'm gonna shout out to Zoe Karatsaferis, who is my Anamkara. We've had 45 years of friendship. Like I made a choice that day and she's the greatest phone a friend I could ever, ever imagine. Mm. So now I'm gonna you know, tag her and tell her to watch this program with you, Jennifer. And I feel like you are a fast friend for us, Dan. I mean, yeah, and I feel I, this way. <laughs> like, sorry, yeah. and, I, and I know we're running, unfortunately we're running out of time, but we'd love to have you here again. Oh, thank uh, you. I, I just feel like there's so much that we haven't even touched or talked about, but uh, it's unfortunate we should have like a three hour or four hour program <laughs> instead of an hour. So. You know, and everybody receives exactly what we're meant to. That's one of my favorite other David Keem quotes is that receiving the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. So for whatever reason, this is exactly what we're all meant to receive and share right now. That's true. Mm. I love that. What are you looking forward most to in the world right now? What is the, something that just makes you excited about life in, in, it's something that you would share about that. I mean, I'm excited about everything in light. As you guys know, I'm getting to go to India to speak in front of 50,000 people uh, next month. So I'm very much looking forward to that. One of my bestie girlfriends is going to join me for that trip. So that's amazing. And most importantly, I'm excited what we're going to do with OptiMatch. I truly, truly feel that we can change the world with this by helping people understand much the point, too, of this person I was referring to, that everybody's doing the best they can. And yet, oh, this is a funny thing. Alison Armstrong, who I mentioned earlier, one of my favorite things she used to say is she taught women and men how to understand each other. And she used to say one of the biggest obstacles with men and women is that women treat men like they're hairy, misbehaving women. <laughs> and mm. so I feel like that's the story of our lives is we're all treating each other like hairy, misbehaving blanks, yet nobody's misbehaving. That's what we're, that's our dream. That's what we're here to do is to help people to shift our perspectives, understand that we have different motivating factors and then realign with one another. Mm, and that goes back to, Coherence, right? Yeah, exactly. It's all tied into coherence and alignment. And I know we're out of time, but how can people reach you? Where's the where's that opportunity where people can reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. So they can either go to our company website, om.app. They can follow me on YouTube at Jennifer K. Hill on YouTube. Or, of course, I have my own website, jenniferkhill.com as well. And is that where they can listen to your podcast? Oh, podcast, if you look up Regarding Consciousness, good point, I forget about that. Uh, regarding Consciousness is the name of the podcast. You can see all the podcast episodes also go on the YouTube channel. We just had a new one get released uh, this week with Deepak Chopra and Don Hoffman. So. Beautiful. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, I think you do it for the same reason we do it, which is the love of connecting with people and having a deeper conversation. And I know that our audience will appreciate so many things about this conversation. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. The joy was all mine. And to just get to be here and share the space with you both in your audience was a privilege. Thank you. And good luck in India. That's another thing I want to come back and talk to, to you about what that's like speaking in front of 50,000 people. Although I know you look for those perfect opportunities to be that public speaker that you love to do that so much. So good luck with that. Thank you both. Okay. Well, take care and be well until we see you next. 
This is Cindy Gilman, and you're listening to Discover Your Potential. So until next time, do something nice for yourself, but do something nice for someone else. Something about gravity. That's what